Last week we talked about starting the new year and just reaching out. And we said if grace is enough, then everyone's invited. And we meant that. Just kind of starting our new year out in a different way this week, I want to look at prayer and just how meaningful prayer is. And I want to, I want to really try to, to see that, that maybe you'll make some decisions in your heart about prayer and what it is and that you really want to be a part of uh, having a life of prayer this year. Uh, I will say also Wednesday night uh, we just started this prayer meeting called Highlands Before the Throne. Uh, that's one of the offerings that we'll have Wednesday night. We'll continue to do that every Wednesday night. We will have a prayer meeting. Uh, I'm meeting with some really great and godly men who uh, are helping format the uh, prayer guides, and we're going to have fresh creative prayer guides every week. So if you want to come and pray, um, we'd love to have you. Love for everyone in the church to at least spend some time in that prayer meeting per year. You don't have to go every time, but maybe uh, find a time in the coming year as it's offered that you can, you can spend time in that prayer meeting. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll open God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this new year, we really do want to move in a direction that is Godward and graceward and joy and fruitful. And Lord, this morning, would you help us understand prayer better than we do right now? And thank you for David the psalmist and what he teaches us. The Holy Spirit opened our heart for how important and how dear and wonderful prayer really is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 5, and we'll be reading in a moment uh, verses 1 through 3. So that's Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3. But I, wanna, I want to uh, start by maybe um, talking about one of the worst feelings that you can have as a human being, and that is when you're not listened to. And you're talking... And whatever you're saying is meaningful to you, but you're not being listened to. That, that, is, a, that is a bad feeling. Um, it's a bad feeling to be in a group of people. You know, some may be at a gathering and you're talking to three or four people and three of the people just kind of fade off or somebody else walks up and you're just, you're just kind of there talking and, uh, and nobody's listening. You know, sometimes when I'm at a, a function, a church function or some kind of a function and I'm in a small group of people and we're talking together, you know, and uh, suddenly, let's say there's three people in this group or four with me and this person's talking and suddenly the other people just kind of zone out or turn around or, or do whatever happens. Um, I kind of feel badly for that person that's talking. You ever been in this situation? And every time I always had this instinct that I want to lean in toward this person to, as if to say, I'm really listening. What you have to say still matters to me because I don't want them to feel that they don't matter. I don't want their feelings to be hurt, um, you know, by, by, doing, by, by having this. And, and I want you having this happen, and I want you to know that listening is one of the primary ways that we can honor another person, especially in this kind of fast-paced era where so much communication is on a screen to actually have a face 
and eyes and ears and full attention is an amazing gift in 2017. So, I recently read an article about how uh, there's like a newfound love and almost it's fashionable again to write handwritten notes. You know, we've gotten so much with, with email and text and all this quick little communication. I remember the first time I texted somebody and asked them, you know, do you want to do this or whatever, and they wrote back just the letter K. I was offended. But I was the guy who, like, wrote Sincerely Joseph on emails for years, you know, dear so-and-so, because I thought they were male. And, uh, and, and, you know, they really weren't male. They were just kind of a short little communication, and here was a text, hey, we're going to do this, K. And I think K stands for okay, but, like, we're not even writing okay. We're just writing K. Well, to me, that's kind of symbolic for kind of where our culture has gone in its communication. And, uh, and so I read this article where, where stationery is becoming popular again, and people are buying, like, really cool pens uh, because getting a handwritten note in snail mail that costs 49 cents to mail or whatever it costs these days um, – it's so elegant. You know, it's so unusual. I mean, it really is a way to say to that person, you know, you're not just somebody I say K to, you know. You're important. I want you to know that real, active, focused listening is, is a lot like this as well. And it can be very rare, especially with all the noise, all the distractions that, that are just kind of happening all around us these days, it's quite an experience to have someone actively, in a focused way, tune in and listen to you. So, how do you feel when you know you're not being listened to? How do you feel when that happens? When you know you haven't been heard, or maybe somebody has heard sound but they haven't focused enough to put that set, those sounds together to be an actual message from you. I want us to think this morning about how God listens so carefully and so compassionately to his children when they pray. One of the amazing things about this, the beginning of this psalm of David uh, is it, this, it's this wonderful realization as you read it. God's really tuned in to David. And David is really trusting that God is listening to him. You know, there are people that sometimes imagine that their prayers are kind of like those words at a party where, you know, nobody's really listening. You, we, I said my prayer, but did anybody hear it? Will anybody answer it? Um, is anybody really listening? Does it matter? This psalm says, yes, God really is listening and loves it when his children come to him and pray. And it really does matter, this thing called prayer. Uh, it's one of the reasons we need to, to focus in on prayer in the beginning of 2017. Why? Because God really listens and he answers prayer. So let's read Psalm 5, verses 1 
through 3. Just these three verses. Give ear to my words. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So here's what I'd like to, to kind of for us to work off of. You can write these, these three things down. Pray honestly and with expectation. Why don't you write that down? Pray honestly and with expectation. And I want to just begin with the word pray. This is the right place. This is not a bad place to start in a sermon on prayer with the question, do you pray? We, we move into this psalm and immediately what we find is that prayer is happening in Psalm 105. And it's really happening. And, and David is praying. Now, you need to understand that David in Psalm 105, and there's a collection of, of three psalms here that actually kind of talk about all the stuff David is going through. But I'll just say this morning that he's going through some really hard things, David is, in his life. And we learn in this psalm that there are people plotting against him. That's verse 10. Uh, they're not like the non-Jewish people that live around there. No, they are powerful people, boastful men of lies. We read in 4 through 6. And they also go to the temple. With David, So David knows these people. These people are religious people. They are power brokers. They're plotting against him. They are boastful men of lies who pull their levers, say what they want, do what they want for the effect, the effect that they want. And when one of those people gets, you know, locked onto you as, as a target, maybe that's not good. Especially if you're the king of Israel or you've been chosen by God to be the king of Israel and somebody wants to take you out. We find out that these are, quote, in verse 9, verses 6 and 9, bloodthirsty men who find no problem in destroying other people for their own gain. So, I mean, this is what's going on in David's life, and David feels the need to turn to God. David responds to the, these things that are happening relationally that are such a threat to him by praying. Now, there are some people that say that Oh, this is when David was fleeing from Saul, and, and you know God had selected David to be the king. Saul was sitting on the throne, and Saul wanted to kill David. And for 14 years, he ran from Saul and was you know under threat of his life at all times. And this is what this is talking about. We don't know that. Some people say, no, no, this is when Absalom, the son of David, wanted to take his throne and kill him. And Absalom actually talked the majority of people. Uh, into going with him by the time David saw this thing sprung on him. And, um, well, we don't know what it is. We just know that it's bad. We know that it's threatening. And we know that David prays. Whatever it is, David shows us we can turn to God. I, I like what John Calvin says. You know, they... These old, old theologians, they say things in such a roundabout way, kind of a, a quaint way. He says, David, being grievously oppressed 
by the cruelty of his enemies and apprehending still more mischief, earnestly beseeches God for help. Translated, David's really in trouble, so he prays. So pray. Do you pray? I mean, we need to pray when we're in trouble. We need to pray generally. But do you pray? That's what's happening in verse 1 is prayer. But it's not just pray. Remember my sentence? Pray honestly. Pray honestly. Okay, communication with a personal God who knows everything anyway is made for honesty. Let me just say that again. Communication with a personal God who knows everything is built for honesty. Why? Because he already knows. So why do you need to, to, to cloak things? Why do we need to dress things up? Why do we need to alter the appearance of things when we go before our God? David doesn't do any of that. What we see is David prays, and David prays very honestly. He shows us that we can bring our real selves to God. Our real problems, our real issues, and that God really listens to us. So let focus on, the, on, on God listening for a moment uh, before we kind of get into the honesty part. Um, think of the word ears, the sounds, the hearing that is mentioned. Like you're bringing your prayer. And, and here it is. Give ear to my words, O Lord. There's an expectation that God will hear. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Do you see this? There's, there's prayer going on. Give ear, give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. David is saying, bring it to God. Just pray it. And God is listening. God will hear. God will deeply consider. So, but, here's the point. It's not just give ear to my words. Look what sex. It also says, consider my groaning. Literally, the word means sighing. You know how when you're just going through something, you go, <sighs> sometimes I do that and I don't realize I do it. And Gina goes, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, I sighed. You know, like, is she omniscient too? No, I, you sighed. Give ear to my words, yes. But it's also consider my groaning, my sighing. Give attention, he says, David says, listen to this, to the sound of my cry. Just crying out in need, in groaning, in sighing. And, and what we learn here is David is bringing his real self to God. David is really low. And he's really feeling it. And he's sighing in his life. And he's sighing before God. And he's groaning about what is actually happening in his life, he's, he's actually crying to God, meaning God doesn't just hear our words. God hears our hearts. God, God cares about the contours of our hearts. This is love. 
This is relationship. This is prayer. We can bring our real selves to prayer. I mean, this takes prayer to a deeper level than words, as important as words are. It's the relational reality of prayer. Here's what we might say from this. We might say that God is the person who always listens the most carefully to our words. Let me say that again. God, in your life, because anybody you're married to or anybody you're a sibling with or or whatever, or a friend to, they're not always going to listen to you like they should because they're, they're selfish. You know, they're, not, they're going to have filters that sometimes, you know, with what's going on in their life that kind of keeps them from listening as well as they could. But God is the person who always listens with the most care and compassion, who always receives you and always loves you, God is the person above all people that you can be utterly real with and that you can trust your heart to. That is a kind of foreign concept to a lot of believers. Like, be real with God? Yeah. Groan before God when you're groaning. Sigh before God when you're sighing. Cry before God. That's why he's there. We have a relationship with him. And, and how wonderful it is that the same person that we pray to and groan to and cry to is also the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-wise being person who runs the universe. What a great coincidence that we actually go to someone who has authority over everything. That's who you want to go to, right? This is why, you know, something's not happening in a restaurant. You say, I want to talk to the manager. Or you're on the phone like you've been through eight prompts and you're about to get another. I want to talk to the manager. Why do you say you want to talk to the manager? Because you want to talk to the person that makes the decisions, right? Well, I want you to know, nobody has authority greater than God. And isn't it great that the one who runs the universe, created the universe, is all-powerful, is uncontested, is the very same one who holds your heart, who reads your heart, who loves you, who listens so carefully to what you have to say and, and to what is going on in your life. But notice it's not just Lord. Lord is mentioned it's king and God. But do you see this? Verse 2, it's my king. These pronouns matter. My king and my God. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider. Sift through my groaning, my sighing. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God. You see, this isn't just, isn't just like a fearful audience with a monarch. No, this is touchingly personal. And you better believe he's the absolute monarch. But he's our God, personally. Our King. We know Him. And as we read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, this king 
this God, this Lord, becomes our Father. And I'll get there in a moment. Isn't this what prayer really is? We pray to God because He's God. That's why you don't pray to your brother or your friend. Why do you not pray to people? Because they're not God. We pray to God because He is the monarch. And we pray to God because He loves us, receives us, and wants to hear our prayers and wants to answer our prayers. You know, when I was a little boy, there was, and I suppose y'all have these in your house too, and maybe you have to think back to your childhood or maybe the childhood of, of your kid or maybe that's happening right now um but you know most people have what we call bedtime routines so we had a bedtime routine when i was growing up and you know you'd you know get clean and get your teeth brushed and and all of this after after dinner and after whatever was going on in the family that night and and sooner or later you know i would get into my bed and pull the covers up and the light would be out, you know, it would be dark in the room and very quiet in the room. And uh, it's funny, I always would sing a few songs every night when I was a child. I'd kind of rock and sing songs. I know that sounds strange. I'm not sure why I did that. But that was kind of what I did every day. I'm just telling you the bedtime ritual. And uh, at some point, my dad in my early life would enter my dark room and and I want to focus on him for a moment because I can even now in my mind, I can see kind of the outline of, of him against the, the dim light of the hallway as he is coming into this room um, as he would sit on the edge of the bed. And, and I can remember right, very crisply right now how comforting his presence was. I can remember him placing his hand on my shoulder and I can remember him kind of bending over me a little bit, and he would always ask this question. He'd always say, is there anything you want to talk about? Is there anything bothering you that you'd like to talk about? I'm talking about every night. Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Is there anything bothering you, he would say, that you'd like to tell me about? And you know, I knew he meant it. And there are some nights where I would just tell all about the good things that happened, some nights I would almost laugh with delight about just certain things that were funny that happened that I just wanted to, to tell him about. But I do remember sometimes as well just having the ability to kind of let out my fears and my frustrations with my father who just listened and was there, this very tender figure, and uh, and he would answer me with some kind of assurance that it was going to be okay, you know how parents do. I'll never forget that. And then one day, I was the parent, and so I already know what the bedtime ritual is going to be. And so, sure enough, two little girls would. You know, get ready for bed and do all the things they did and their ritual. And they would 
get under the covers, and I'd come into their room, and, and uh, I added prayer, by the way, to that ritual. But I would ask Sarah Caitlin or Emily, uh, depending on who I was with, this word, the, this, these, sentence, these, these questions, how profound they are. Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Is there anything bothering you that you'd like to tell me? And just like me when I was little, sometimes this would be a travelogue of all kinds of happy things and good things. And sometimes those little hearts would just unburden and tears would start rolling down those little cheeks. And they would just cry out. You know, I, I, I kind of feel like that's a lot of what the feel of this passage is. You know, that, that maybe prayer is like God's kid crying out to a father who's available and listening intently who has the ability to, uh, to do what's needed. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. I found this this week, and it is so beautiful. I read it out loud to Gina. She commented how beautiful it is, too. Sometimes, he says, we cannot put our prayers into words. They are nothing but a cry. But the Lord can comprehend the meaning of our cry. For He hears a voice in our crying to a loving Father, his children cry, excuse me, to a loving father, his children's cries are music to him. And they have a magic influence on his heart, which cannot resist the cries of his children. Isn't that beautiful? That we just get to cry out. You know, uh, we, 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 we read this, give ear to my words, consider my groaning, give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God. And uh, I love that, 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 that the Father, that the children's cries are like music to God. And they have a magic influence which his heart cannot resist. The psalmist says, pray. But the psalmist says, pray honestly. Be real. Bring who you are to this Father who loves you. Be real. Unburden yourself. Pray with groans and cries as well as words. Now, don't, can I ask you this question? Like right this moment, the way you feel in, in handling this passage, don't you want to? Don't you need to? Life's hard, people. Folks let you down. Things don't happen the way they should. Things happen that shouldn't. Don't you want to unburden yourself before God? It is an, who, who loves you, and, and nobody listens to you like that. Um, it's an amazing thing. You know, we will sing from the, in a moment from the uh, song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, which is a song about prayer. And don't you love this verse, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. See, like at the start of 2017, what I'm trying to convince you of and what God convinced me of in, in preparing 
for this is I want a part of this. I want to learn more what prayer is. And I want to pray. And I want to pray honestly. So first, pray. Second, pray honestly. But third, pray with expectation. With a kind of faith. Pray with expectation. Verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. In the morning. Now, uh, the ESV translates this the way I think he should, that basically David is referring to the morning sacrifice at the temple. He says, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. That this is a, a, a time of prayer in the temple. You know, there were morning and evening sacrifices every day in the temple in the morning. And that's the way this, this translation that we read from the ESV has it. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. But um, the morning is also an important concept that often means more than, than just sunrise. Okay? So a lot of times um, people take it that if you're going to really pray, it better be in the morning. And it better be at 5.30 a.m. And, you know, and I get it before the day starts and yada, 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 yada. Great. If you're a morning person, pray in the morning. If you're not awake, maybe you shouldn't pray in the morning. Um, But, you know, in the Bible, and this is actually in the morning, in the morning sacrifice. But if you you look at this verse 3, it's it's about expectation. And and in the Bible, the morning is kind of new. You know, the, the morning is fresh. Sorrow might last for a night. Help me with this. But joy cometh in the morning. Joy cometh in the morning. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And, and this, this psalmist, David, he, he prays in the morning in the fresh renewal of God's grace. And, and this morning sacrifice... Um, is about expectation. In the morning do I direct my prayer to you. That's how most translations put it. In the morning do I direct my prayer to you. ESV, prepare the sacrifice for you. In the morning do I prepare, uh, prepare <laughs> direct my prayer to you and wait. And a lot of translations because of the Hebrews say, and look up. In the newness, in the freshness, in the grace, in the new every morning, in the anticipation, because you are God and you love me and you have said, come and pray to me, do I direct my prayer to you and do I look up and I wait? I look to you for an answer. I don't look around at other people always to be my answer. I don't look inside myself to the inner resources to be my answer. That's Barnes & Noble bookstore. Most of the books in the self-help section basically say, you know, the meaning of life is to thine own self be true. Follow your bliss and don't worry what it does to other people. It's ridiculous. And everything you need is, is just locked in your heart. And if you could just 
unlock your heart, if you could just get to the inner resources, you would be a superman or a superwoman. That's wrong. We are frail sinners who are afraid. Aren't we? We need God. And we pray. And we don't look inside for our answers. We don't look around to other people ultimately for our answers. God can use other people. We look up. We look to God. We wait. And this is pretty elementary. I go to God who loves me and listens to me. I pray honestly. And I look up and I wait. Meaning, I pray in faith that God will answer. And I love what Matthew Henry says here. And I've translated his long way of saying it into a short way. And if he answers yes, I thank him. And if he answers no or wait, I adjust. And I keep praying. And I pray for patience. And pray for the ability to be a representation of truth, grace, and love while I wait. God will answer our prayers. A lot of times we pray and we don't watch. We don't wait. We don't, we don't look up. But I keep watching and praying. Remember Jesus used that in John 17. Watch and pray, he said, that you won't fall into temptation. We keep praying and watching is, is Psalm 5. I, I pray and I watch as a regular part of my life with God. The psalm is telling us to take what is real to God. Here's what David says. It's really simple. Get there. Get there. Why would you leave prayer on the table? Why would you leave the most important person who hears you better, more consistently than anybody else, loves you more than anybody ever has, more than anybody ever will, who actually has all authority in heaven and on earth? And David says, get there. Take your hundred-proof pain to him. Take your paralyzing fears to him. Just cry it out if you can't put words to it. And all this mixture of belief and unbelief that is life, take it all to him. You don't have to clean up your prayers. You don't have to dress them up. You don't have to vocab them up. You don't need to deodorize them, and you don't need to euphemize them. Just say it, because He loves you, and He's there. And He listens. Give ear to my words, O God. Consider my groanings. Please pay attention to the sound of my cries. My King and my God, for in the morning I will pray to you. In the morning I will direct my prayer to you and I will watch. I will look up. Just pray them to your Father, even when they're in the form of cries and sighs and tears and you're struggling to put these things into words. It's important for us to know that we are wanted at the throne of grace. We don't have to try and break through to God. 
All this talk about breaking through to God? No. I'm looking at this table in front of me and I'm here to tell you folks, God has broken through to us. And that is the... That is the signal difference before the cross, between the cross and grace and any other religion. We don't have to climb a seven-story mountain to get to God. God has already come here. God has already taken all of who we are and lived a perfect life in our place, died a death that we deserved, taking our punishment to remove the sin barrier between us and God. And now as we have put our trust in God, and in what Christ has done for us on the cross and received the living, resurrected Christ into our life, now we can pray. Now we can go, ready for these words, boldly before the throne of grace, boldly before God, yes, confidently because our high priest has sprinkled his own blood in the heavenly sanctuary and it is finished and the way, this new and living way has been made for us. And you know what? Think about how incredible this is and that we don't pray. And we need to know that if you've put your trust in Jesus, if, we, if, you, if you know that you are His, know that you in all your pain, you in all your confusion, you in all your disappointment, and with all your petitions for other people and for all kinds of things, you are wanted. At the throne of grace. This is the real difference. Because it is at the throne of grace where you will find the best listener in the universe. That loves you more than anybody ever will. Who welcomes you and your cries and your prayers. And who loves to listen to you. About all kinds of things. As you just talk it out. And all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people and other peoples for the kingdom of God of God to come in so many ways. So pray. Pray honestly with expectation. Amen. He's come to us and now is about to invite us to be with him. In, in dinner fellowship together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Psalm 5 and the rest of this psalm as David talks about these enemies and how he trusts in you and how he wants to not become like them but become more like you. Lord, thank you that we can trust you as well. Would you now as we move toward the table remind us of the difference between religiosity and all kinds of prayers and prayer and the way that has been made by you for us to talk to our Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.